90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Um, I finally took a shower. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, yeah, we went like eight days without power, so that was fun. <laughs> ah, yes. The, uh, <laughs> the very early ice storm of 2020, which just seems fitting. Uh, doesn't it, though? Um, it was so funny because all I could do was think back to our interview with Steve Filtz and how he said... Oh, we're five days out. You never know what's going to happen. It looks like it's going to get you, John, but we'll see. Nope, it didn't get you. <laughs> nope, it went about three hours west and uh, nailed central Oklahoma. It got me. <laughs> yeah, it was insanity. Um, yeah, so eight days without power. I think lots of um, the town around here just got power back today, like the majority of whoever was left over. And it was very, it was very interesting. It was really sad. I have some super bad tree damage. Um, but yeah, I mean, ice storms, they're weird things. And it was real weird. There was so much rain, which, you know, ice storm, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we only got, we got sleet for maybe like 10 minutes out of all of this. And that was it. And then straight to accumulating freezing it, rain. <laughs> unbelievable accumulations. Just unbelievable. And like everyone has already heard, I'm sure, you know, all of our trees still had their leaves on it. And so everything started breaking really fast because every leaf had, you know, an inch, literally, if not more, of ice all over it. So, yeah. Yeah, there's some pictures of power lines with three inches of radial Ice, so six inches of ice diameter. Six inches, right. yeah. On the uh, Mesonet ticker, if you are a fan of that, we've talked about that on the show several times. They have pictures of um, barbed wire fences that, I mean, it almost looks like a wall of ice because it's the three inches of radial ice on each, you know, row of barbed wire. Unreal. Unreal pictures. Um, it was really interesting to look at how the, we've got a big break of trees in the back of our property that faces north and so all the trees that were closest to our house which is on the southern part they had nothing they didn't even have ice on them and then everything on the north part did and then to see like everything broke off the tops of the trees right because it's raining and they all still had their leaves so the canopy protected like the lower parts of the trees in most cases and that is really weird too so now you've got all these you know, floofy trees with just a stick coming out of the top, which once you break that apical meristem, I don't know how long these trees are going to last, which is going to be terrible once we get another windstorm. So, Yes, which this early in the year, anything is possible. I mean, it's only been uh, a year ago, let's see, five days from when we're recording, or six days from when we're recording, is when uh, my business was hit with the tornado. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. who knows? So, while a year later you're getting ice, a uh, year earlier we were getting hit with a tornado. Exactly. I mean, my kid was out of school for four days last week. Like, we're, yeah. 2020, I guess. It was, um, it was super crazy. I felt it, it was funny because we talk about how, you know, excited we get for chasing or whatever. But once you, you know, own a house or a business... <laughs> and have like an investment in stuff tornadoes get less exciting <laughs> they do very quickly <laughs> yeah exactly and it's like i felt like this about this storm i was like oh man we're only on the edge of it that stinks <laughs> and then as stuff started to accumulate i'm like mm, no this this feels like this is going to be real bad <laughs> yeah so and it was um yeah and we I, watched from over here uh-huh uh, mm -hmm. luckily we didn't get hit at all nothing we did get below freezing a couple times, but we never had any accumulation of anything. Well, I almost had to come to, you know, do my laundry at your house, but luckily my mom's house is closer, so we just stopped there. <laughs> yeah, we were spared because without that showering, uh, mm. Yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, it was interesting, but um, 
whatever. It's fine. I mean, we're all okay. But my three trees that probably have to come down, which one of them is my hammock tree. And my friend said, but where would you lounge? Right. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a little upsetting. I laugh, but it's still sad. Um, And another thing that the ice storm definitely threw into uh, disarray was last week was GSA. So normally we would talk about the whatever city you went to this year Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and all the interesting talks that you saw and what you saw in the exhibit hall and some posters. And we may have some ideas for guests that we're going to have on later this year uh, from the people that you met there. But none of that happened, right? Oh, no. I went to an exhibit hall. I went to see posters. I went to see talks. All virtual. (laughs) I'm fascinated to hear how this went because I have not been to one of these larger conferences virtually, but I can't imagine it being anywhere nearly as useful as the actual in-person meeting. No. It was... So the Geological Society of America said they have held... A conference. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's every year since they've been an organization. Like through World Wars One and Two, everything they've held conferences. So they definitely weren't going to not have a conference. You know, they said we had a conference in 1918 during the influenza pandemic. So they're gonna have this conference, and it was super weird. Number one, it was really hard to even do the talks. But this part I kind of liked a little bit because we had to have our talk. um, So my student gave a talk about uh, field camp, all of our virtual. There was a four-session virtual learning um, that was set up. And so we had a talk, and he had to have that recorded a month ahead of time and uploaded to the site. Which, for those of you that don't know, most academics finish their slides (laughs) maybe two hours before they give the talk. Maybe. Maybe two hours. I've definitely been at a computer podium uploading a new version (laughs) right before I give a talk. I can't tell Uh, you how many plane trips to AGU you look down the aisle and all the (laughs) laptops are PowerPoint. Every single one. (laughs) Um. So that was really weird, and that's probably the only, well, there's a couple parts that I liked about it, Um, but that was neat. And so, you know, they have the technical program online like they always do, and, you know, the fun thing to do a couple days beforehand is to go through and pick out all the talks you want to go to and all this stuff, and it was just weird, like, how is this going to work? And it was, you walked in, and this is what happens at a regular conference, you walk in and you look around, you're like, okay, there's registration, there's the exhibit hall, you know, there's the poster sessions, there's the technical sessions. And that's what the website looked like. Like, it looked like the inside of an exhibit hall. And you clicked on whatever thing you wanted to go to. And there was even a networking room. Is this like a chat room (laughs) of days of yore? (laughs) It kind of was. (laughs) It was real weird. It was real weird. Um, Yeah. There was a lot of, I thought, okay, so what they were going to do is you've got your spiel pre-recorded, and then you're there with the conveners and can answer questions. But what I never realized is how much I talk to people who are in the session, too, You know, and so you got in there to watch a talk. You clicked on the thing, and you can see the conveners and the person. And then they do their 12-minute recorded talk. And then that person sits there and answers questions. But it, it was weird, like, where you put the questions. It was unclear who was seeing the questions. Some had questions you could do beforehand. And you could sort of watch the stuff beforehand. So that was weird but not all of them were like that um yeah it was awkward i do love that they were recorded though because then yes. there's none of this the the uh convener standing up and saying like <laughs> your time is up and then moving closer and closer as you go further away from time as they gradually just get the hook out <laughs> exactly um <laughs> 
You would think that, but there were actually some that didn't start on time, which made me think, I guess, that question sessions got out of control or something is what happened. Um, because it was my student that was presenting, so I was just watching. I actually wasn't even watching because his talk was in the middle of the week last week, and I didn't have power and couldn't go anywhere. Um, he said that it was really odd because they couldn't even watch the other people in the session because of the way the Zoom was. So they couldn't be watching their stuff and be sitting there with the conveners at the same time. So but then actually, you can't say like, oh, well, as this person set up for you. Or... Yes. And, and, you know, all the talks in a session, for people that don't know, like you say, people say, I'm going to have this session on online learning, you know. And you're like, okay. But, I mean, these are very specific. There are some sessions that, like, we're going to look at sanadine crystals in arid basins in Morocco, you know. <laughs> so all the talks are related. It's actually quite nice to be like, oh, hey, like John said earlier, blah, blah, blah. So you couldn't do any of that. He said he only saw, like, he only saw his. That's that's unfortunate because you get a lot, and also that most of the talks that you want to see because they're in your specific subdiscipline yes. are also in that session. Yes, correct. <laughs> that's right. So if you're working on sanadine in Moroccan arid basins, you definitely want to see all the rest of the people that are doing that too, and you probably know them. And I always love when there's a, a withdrawn talk or something, and then if it's in the middle of a whole bunch of talks where everyone just gets to talk for like 10 minutes, it's actually really good and you can learn a lot and have a lot of interaction. And all of that was gone. You actually couldn't even see who was in the room watching. So it was just... That, that feels like it lost a lot of the magic. It really did. I mean, I, kudos to them for doing it. Um, and I had not been to a big meeting either. I, I had pulled a very tiny amount of people who had been to meetings online and they're like you know yeah it worked okay and I would say the same thing for this they did the best that they could with what they had um so it was weird so here's my big question for you about this mm -hmm. how different was registration in terms of cost not different at all see that's what I've heard about several other meetings uh-huh. And I've got to say, like, I know that this is a big source of income for these various societies. And I know that putting on a virtual conference still costs a lot of money because you're paying somebody to set up all the servers and, uh, and do all of that work. But that's not right, in my opinion. I think so they outsourced to a company to do this. And I wonder if that company wound up being, you know, as expensive as renting the Denver Convention Center. I mean, I imagine it was very expensive, but you've got the Convention Center rent, you've got all the coffee and everything that they buy for the Convention Center. Yeah. For all true. the days of the conference. Uh, I just don't think that that's quite right. I was very surprised. Like, I didn't even think, I thought nothing of, like, oh, I better register early. I better do all this stuff. I didn't think anything of that because I assumed it would be half the cost, you know. And no, it was not at all. Well, and the early registration deadline for another major conference just passed as we're recording this. Uh, and it was also very expensive, you know, pushing $1,000 by the time you got all set up yeah. for the virtual conference. Yeah, I don't... The cool thing about going to a conference, I mean, there's lots of cool things, but I guess the nice thing is that your brain gets to shut down and you are only doing that, right? It's so busy and super, it's super motivating and rewarding, but that's all you have to do. And it was impossible to be able to a lot the time when you're still here to be like, I'm going to attend GSA all day today. You know, I couldn't do that. I still had to take my kids to school. I still, well, the times that they were in school, <laughs> you know, and it's like, I still had to teach. I still had to do everything else. And so I couldn't even really think about it. It really, that part 
was unfortunate because this is always a week like this is my sort of like home society everybody has like their one society and GSA is mine and it just it was unfortunate because this week is very you know it just gets you reinvigorated about science right you go and watch all the stuff that that you're not used to or you know you're not you're not into you watch stuff that you are into you get to see all your colleagues and it was all that's gone it's just lost this year and it just like makes it even more of a bummer you know yeah uh and you don't get to have that experience of you know after the meeting that night you see somebody that you haven't talked to in a while you go out for a beer with them and you realize that you know they're working on something that you learn from or they learn something from what you're doing and there's all this cross-pollination that is crucial to proposal development science development all of it yeah mm-hmm. and no none of those people were in the networking room when i went in so <laughs> right and like you said nobody's going to be able to dedicate that time because that is why conferences are special yeah uh, you, I... you, you are gone you're not accessible nobody's knocking on your office door even though you have a do not disturb sign up <laughs> yes correct your phone's ringing and instead of saying i'm out of town i can't help with that you have to say i'm actually in an online meeting and they say okay when will you be here mm-hmm. yes exactly that happened in a zoom meeting today so yes it 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 was very disheartening what is nice is that all of these are captured and i have actually haven't even been able to go back to see yet since we just got power and i'm just getting caught back up um is that these are supposedly still available to go watch but i will say that there was one thing that was super awesome and that was the posters tell me more (laughs) so there's been a push as i'm sure you've noticed towards hosting like online posters so pdfs of your posters so yes you can upload your poster so it's accessible or whatever um, but I don't think many people did that. I never had done that. Um, but the poster sessions, so they're open all day just like they were. And you just go in and you click on this poster, and there is a four- to six-minute video by the author of the poster. It's a PDF of the poster comes up. You can glance around with it at your leisure, and you can watch the author's spiel about their poster and while you miss out on the like talking to other people or listening to other people ask questions i thought that was awesome because then i could like spend as much time at any poster as i wanted to i could listen to the person you know do their spiel about their poster i thought that was actually super cool that is because a lot of times at conferences i don't get to the person's poster when they're there uh-huh. Yeah. Maybe exactly. I need to be in a talk or they're just not there. They're they're off in the beer line. Mm-hmm. Uh, or there's a crowd around it and I don't get to don't get to hear the spiel. Uh, so that actually I think is great. Yeah. It was really great. I almost wish that that would be a component of the posters anyway. You know, like these are all available. Everyone has to upload their spiel with their poster. Just so that doesn't happen. Um, and then, you know, then the authors can be there like they normally are. But that was that was super cool. I thought that was an improvement to the conference experience that I hope they think about, like, hosting in the future, too. But, I mean, we still had – this is a big opportunity for us. We always send somebody – because we have lots of undergrads that are asking about graduate schools, you know. We spend conference time – meeting prospective grad students quite a bit sometimes um i use this to advertise for field camp and we still advertise for field camp at our virtual exhibition booth so this is a topic i'm very interested in because (laughs) as a business we have been building our booth inventory you know the the stuff that people can come and see and do Mm -hmm. uh, with the idea that we would be having a booth at a major conference in the next few months, and that's not happening. Uh, we're not going to, to be doing that. 
So I want to hear about these virtual booths because from what I've been able to tell, they're not worth my money. <laughs> um, so I find this interesting because just before the show, we were talking about all these analog things you're building for people to, I mean, they're not analog, but tactile things you're building for people to touch at a conference booth, right? And it's like, that's what you do. When you think about GSA, you think about the Brunton booth. That's a huge booth. Last year, they had like cornhole games <laughs> and all this stuff. They had parties at the booth, all these geological things you could play with. And this year, you know, it was a banner that said 10% off these things. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> and like some links to, you know, videos and stuff. It was, um, yeah, it's it's nothing I couldn't get by going to any of these companies' websites, which I generally do to order stuff anyway. So, meh. You know, it was yeah. not, it was not cool. And the it, we're a part of the campus connection is the little part where they have the um, have the schools because people are shopping for grad schools, right? And yeah, it was. Because, again, like the registration, it was still pretty expensive to have a booth. Oh, yes, it was. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, we we got to put up, like, four, four PDF pictures. That was what our booth was. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you got no one there to interact with. We pass out tons of stuff, as does everybody. None of that. So you just had these PDF pictures like, okay, well, here's, you can contact this person. Here's the field camp info. That's it. Yeah. And I would guess, I don't know if they made the metrics available to you, but I would guess that it wasn't very highly trafficked. Um, so I don't have the metrics for GSA yet, but our APG booth, so the Association of Petroleum Geologists, I had 35 people look at it. Yeah. Whereas normally you would have, what, hundreds in an afternoon at, mm-hmm. at minimum? Yeah. I mean, you can't help but look at it walking by, right? And yeah. this was not set up for that. You know, you have to go in and click click everything to view the booth. So, yeah. Because normally at a conference, if there's, you know, nothing that you want to see at that particular time, you might go wander the vendor hall and... You know, somebody's got something flashy at their booth, and you're like, oh, what's this? And they give you their little sales pitch, and you take a pen and a water mm-hmm. bottle and go on to the next booth. And Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Then in the future when you're like, oh, I, I really need a, a ground-penetrating radar for <laughs> yeah. this thing I'm doing. You're like, oh, yeah, I've got that pen from, what was that? Oh, yeah, yeah, and you go talk to them. Mm-hmm. That is exactly right, and that is why people put their names on pens. Or anything. Yes, yes, correct. Exactly. I mean, heck, that's why we bought Dynalites, right? Like, we, in the department, I feel like we've got, like, 15 Dynalites, and it's because those Dynalite microscopes have such cool booths. They do such cool stuff. They have a new thing every year. They have a huge booth. They're always showing it off. And basically, like, having little classes at the booth, you know, and you just... And it also is important for the vendors, not only to sell product, but that's how you get feedback from your customers. Yes, uh, correct. Like that Dynalite guy was writing more stuff down than people were because people were either telling him stuff that they had done with the machine or stuff they wished it did, which is, you know, super invaluable, right? Yeah, because, you know, I remember going to one booth of a data logger manufacturer years ago and they said, oh, have you ever used our product? And I said, Yeah. And said, oh, what would you think of it? And I said, I bought something else next time. <laughs> and he well, why? And we sit there and had a great conversation. And, you know, he said, okay, well, we've heard this and this as well, but we hadn't heard that. And, you know, they came out with a product a few years later that we bought and use regularly. Oh, uh, see? And, and you it had a lot of that feedback in it. And you hadn't taken the time to email them that because that seems mean. <laughs> Or something. Right, like, <laughs> nobody, you have to be slightly pathological to just send somebody an email that starts out, you know, let me tell you what I don't like about you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, we've gotten a few of those. Um, 
But correct. And so, like, that's great, right? Not that you turn their company around, but, but yeah. And so, I want that feedback, too, is on stuff that it, we're yes. building. It's like, is this what you, is this, I think this is what you want, and you've bought some of them. But a lot of things, man, you would be surprised. We'll have a a high five-digit thing go out into the field. You know, we're commissioned to make something. Mm-hmm. We make it. I ship it. And I never, ever hear anything. <sighs> oh. And you're like, is this working? <laughs> it, is, it, is it horrible? And... We now have a, you know, if we do something for you, we start collecting feedback in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, we had a project where I thought we had really potentially upset somebody uh, because we, we did a lot of work. We we shipped what I thought was an outstanding product. And it was just total no communication. Like, not even we received it. Wow. Uh, and so I messaged and said, hey, what's what's the story with this? Oh, it's been working. Fan, no problems. We haven't even needed to contact you. Uh, we absolutely <laughs> love it. When? How long have you been? You know, freaking out about what exactly. could have gone wrong and what they were saying about you and <laughs> yeah. And we also sometimes get you know it's working, but you know thing X, Y, and Z aren't great. And some of those cases, we say, well, thanks. You know, we're going to work on improving that. Or in a couple of the cases, it's been, oh, it, it does that. Just go to go to this page in the manual. <laughs> mm-hmm. See? There you go. I guess it never hurts to ask. Um, yeah, so all of that was gone. <laughs> that's, that's, none of that existed this year. Um, I mean, which, which is sucks. sad considering, you know, we spent thousands of dollars <laughs> making <laughs> good demonstration equipment. To, to showcase our sensors and products. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know when the... Has AMS said that they're doing theirs virtual? I know there's this in January, usually. Uh, it appears that there's going to be some in-person component, if not a lot of in-person component. Oh, wow. Really? Hmm. Well, um, be interesting to see how that But goes. that's not for sure. And right. I haven't checked on that in a couple of weeks, so it could have changed. <laughs> hmm. hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So that's, uh, that's how that was. I mean, I didn't go to any special events, obviously, because I thought that'd be weird. Um, one of my students went to a, a short course, said it was okay, you know, but, um, yeah, the e-posters were the absolute highlight. Everything else was, you know. A little disappointing, I think. Hmm. But it was very interesting because there were three technical sessions about online field camp and online field trips. And so I know we've talked a lot about that on here, but it just, it makes me interested, especially you being, you know, so computer oriented and yet making all these things you can touch is... I mean, the talks that I did make it to before my power went out were all taking digital models of rocks and investigating them in some way. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's, I mean, it's not the same thing, but is it a good enough, you know, is it a good enough thing to say, okay, in this interlab, we don't have all these great metamorphic rocks because our school can't afford them or something like that. So we're going to look at these digital models of them. I don't know. Yeah. And I think in some situations it's great uh, because maybe you can't afford the samples or the equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think at higher level classes, you really have to start pounding in. This is where data comes from. Which you can't say this is where data comes from when you're emailing somebody an Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) Uh, You know, I I pretty vividly remember uh, being somewhat offended by... (laughs) uh, We'd collected a bunch of gravity data, which, you know, collecting gravity data is a pretty long and laborious process. It's the worst. (laughs) 
and so we'd collected, I'm going to say, a few dozen points, okay. which is days of work. Yeah, that's not trivial. Uh-huh. And produced a gravity map, and we're showing it to someone, and they said, that's it? Like, well, why didn't you get data here, 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 and here? <laughs> at which point, I said, well, look at the topo map. I would have had to, to rock climb a 150-foot face with a $100,000 gravimeter in my arm <laughs> to get a data point. Well, it really would have been nice if you had a data point there. You, you, know, you should collect that. And just somebody that had no concept <laughs> of where the data come from. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is something that, you know, you said tactile. And we are doing a lot of tactile things uh, for the booth and for some educational products. Uh, like, you know, the squeeze box that we talked about. Right. Mm-hmm. A few weeks ago. Uh, but many of them. So, for example, we, we just uh, developed and uh, are going to have launched here in the next week or so a a barometric pressure sensor that goes down wells mm-hmm. and it's capable of handling uh, geothermal well conditions okay and you know this is important if you're doing certain types of studies using well water levels because wells are leaky tubes and yeah when the atmospheric fronts pass and you get big pressure changes weird things happen mm-hmm. uh, and you know how do you how do you demonstrate that it's it's a little can that has a wire coming out the back. Yeah. <laughs> a very expensive little can that has a wire coming out the back. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, you know, what we did is we actually built a clear tube that sits on a little stand on the table. And there's a hand vacuum pump. Oh, nice. So you have to sit there and squeeze this. And it's connected to another one of our products, which is a wireless data transmission module that sends the data across the table and then there's a little screen with a gauge and you can see what altitude you're pumping the tube down to. That's awesome. This reminds me of like going to the, the fair. Right. <laughs> and all the uh, different things that, you know, hey, pour this dirt on this and I'm going to vacuum it up or whatever. <laughs> but the yeah. rainbow vacuum. <laughs> I remember that booth well. See, look at that product recognition right there exactly you would have gone right by that website but (laughs) you absolutely remember that experience oh you bet yeah and it's like i know they did the i mean they did the best they could with this and so i don't you know want to just get on here and be like this was terrible but i mean for me it was terrible because this is a huge week for me to like really get reinvigorated about stuff and it just felt like another 2020 ridiculousness. <laughs> well, that's why we talk every week. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I am pretty excited about, you know, potentially getting a squeeze box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. And we've got, a, Shannon's got a sneak preview of a couple other of the fun things. Yeah, exactly. It, we're using this lockdown time. You know, we've still been pretty busy with, uh, with contract work. But we've had a few breaks here and there of somebody in the shop doesn't have something to do for a couple days while we're waiting on parts or something. And we've developed a couple of really slick products and I'm excited about. Oh, this is the importance. We have a whole show about the importance of just like sitting around and tinkering, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, it's totally, totally true. Uh, And even, you know, something that I had done years ago that... That was kind of, I gave a conference talk on it and people, oh, that's kind of cool. Uh, we sort of dug that out of the, the woodwork and said, well, how have, how's technology changed in the last six years? Oh, wow. Uh, so could we make this better? Could we make it cheaper? Could we make it? And it was something that I had made that cost, you know, hundreds of dollars at the time. Mm-hmm. And now we're like, hey, we could actually make this like a hundred dollar kit. Oh, Nice. Because technology's a sensor that used to be fifteen dollars is three now. Yeah, uh, you know, that's awesome. Huh? Okay. What can we do about this? And we did take you know a couple of days and just started updating some of these older product projects. Uh, that's super. It's cool. been a lot of fun. That's super cool. I bet your lack of travel has really also, uh, and I mean that is true for me too. The lack of travel is definitely. Uh, 
been able to do some slowing down and thinking stuff that hasn't happened before so it has though man i'll tell you my travel schedule everybody so far seems to think that january 1 is going to reset 2020 i know uh because my travel schedule for january february is solid you're kidding me yeah i don't think people are obviously not listening to scientists and how viruses work I don't know if there's anything that's, you know, viruses on a, going to blow up. It's not the Y2K virus. (laughs) And I mean, some of it is things that just can't wait any longer. Right. Yeah. Uh, And some is also, well, you know, we've waited six months and we have to, we have to move on this project. Yeah. Uh, Which I get. uh, But I'm, I'm a little concerned about how that's going to go. Mm-hmm. Yep. And who knows, right? Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of things that seem apocalyptic, (laughs) uh, I think it's time to move on to this week's Fun Paper Friday. Yay. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So you picked this one. Yep. Uh, And this actually hit something that is a soft spot for me. Oh. Is it? (laughs) I'm, I'm super excited that you picked it. Oh, okay. Interesting. I don't know if it's salamanders or pitcher plants, so I guess we'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) So nature's pitfall trap, salamanders as rich prey for carnivorous plants in a nutrient-poor northern bog ecosystem. Also a fantastic name for a session at a conference. (laughs) By Moldowin et al. Uh, Yeah, it was the nutrient-poor bog that actually uh, locked this in for me choosing it. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I was like, oh, I like bogs. <laughs> I fell in a bog once. Um, <laughs> that was actually a show title, wasn't it? Um, I think it yeah. was. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, this is um, really gross. There's some gross videos. There's some gross pictures. And I'm assuming the pitcher plants is what's close to your heart. Yeah, so there was a period of time where I had quite a few carnivorous plants. Are you serious? Yeah. Of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> and I w- wouldn't mind getting some again, but no, I had uh, I had pitcher plants and, uh, of course, the Venus flytrap, but also uh, some butterworts and had something else, too. Uh, but no, I had a little, little terrarium full of carnivorous plants. You are kidding me. Yeah. That is super funny. Um, I've never kept a carnivorous plant. I mean, I don't know why. Seems it's like something awesome. I would do. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god! Did you actually have to feed them? Yeah, you cut up worms. You're kidding me. Yeah. You cut up worms to give yeah. your your plants. But I learned not mealworms because they had, they were too fatty. They killed one of my fly traps. <gasps> no kidding. Yeah. Does the fly trap know that? No. Like, would it let one crawl over it? Um, or... No, I mean, the, the flytrap, so the there are a couple of little hairs that stick inside the, the jaw of the flytrap. Mm-hmm. And uh, one trip of one of the hairs sort of arms it. And then the second oh. trip makes it snap shut. So you would stick the little worm piece in there and then take your little pointer and flick the hair a couple times and it would, oh. it would shut. Hmm. Or if it was the appropriate season, you know, you just leave the top off every now and then of the terrarium yeah, and let them catch some flies. Uh, yeah. But you I need don't... to keep them really moist and then out of season. So like about now, uh, you would be putting the, the bulb of the plant on a wet paper towel in a Ziploc bag in your crisper drawer for winter hibernation. No kidding. Yep. No, I've got kids. I don't need any more work like that. <laughs> yeah, it's a decent amount of work. <laughs> That's unbelievable. I didn't know you had to had to hibernate them. Yeah, I mean, mm. you don't have to, but they, they don't do real well if you don't. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So did you have pitcher plants? I did, and there's a whole book on how to care for these things called Savage Garden. Highly recommend it. <laughs> of course. Um, did your pitcher plants eat salamanders? <laughs> no, my pitcher plants were not this big. <gasps> yeah, these are some honky ones, huh? Um, the first part of this, 
so this is so cool to me. Like, we study rocks, right? Or weird stuff in the Earth's surface. It's so weird to me to think that this took place on a, um, in this nutrient-poor northern bog ecosystem that was like a study site. And it's in a, a fishless kettle lake bog, which it blows my mind that something could be fishless, right? But to be able to like go to this place and have to, I don't know, like rely on a living system, like your your data are these living things. Like I need these things to sit still, you know what I mean? Like like, how do you count how many salamanders are in this fishless bog? But they did. <laughs> yeah, so they went around to, I want to say, was it about 114 plants? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they basically, from what I can tell, you know, stuck their phone camera up on top of the pitcher yeah. plant <laughs> and took a picture and said, okay, there's so many of this kind of fly and so many of this kind of, oh, and sometimes there's a salamander. Oh. That's terrible. Um, yeah, so it likes these specific types of flies. But sometimes there's a salamander. Sometimes there's two. Yeah, in various states of decomposition. Oh, man. Um, did you have to look up what a drift fence was? <laughs> did you look this yeah. up? Yeah. Okay, I thought you might look this up. Because once they figured out these salamanders were in here... Um, they said, oh, well, this is interesting. And people have talked about carnivorous plants eating vertebrates before, but no one ever thought that it was a a substantial part of the diet, right? Right. And so after they captured this and someone was like, oh, my gosh, there's a salamander in here, um, they put up a drift fence. So it just looks like... It's just like one of those anti-erosion looking fence. But basically, you want to keep everything in the ecosystem to sort of break it apart. You know, you don't want things traveling in and out of the bog system. You're trying to isolate the area, which <laughs> you is want the part an that adiabatic seems... bog. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this seems impossible. This seems impossible and ridiculously frustrating. Right? No? Well, I mean, okay. Imagine you're not a geologist. You go into the field and look at rocks, and they're all brown. (laughs) And you spend two or three days describing them centimeter by centimeter and how they're different brown. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I get it. Uh, (laughs) um, And so they... Figured out by the timing of this stuff that, you know, little salamanders, they go through their little growth spurts and turn into little salamanders. Um, and they said it's when they're, what did they say? Meta, there was a weird word for this. I don't remember. Metamorphic salamanders. <laughs> That's right. Because <laughs> that, <laughs> that one threw me for a little loop for a while. Um, and there's salamanders so- under extreme temperature and pressure. Exactly. Well, kind of. <laughs> um, so it's when these little salamanders are coming out is when they found most of them. Because they, they found this and they went back the next couple of years. And they found that that's when these pitcher plants are catching these salamanders. And is it that the salamanders just are looking for a place to hide because they're little bitty babies? Or is it that they're following flies into the pitcher plant? They left a lot of... Um, research questions at the end of this paper, which I thought was kind of cool, too. Yeah, and, you know, they also don't really know, well, if the pitcher floods, if it fills up, sometimes the salamanders can get out. Mm -hmm. But what kills them? Yeah. Uh, You know, some people said, well, they drown. Some people said they're paralyzed by the pitcher fluid. Um, Some people said the pitcher fluid gets so hot in plants that are in direct sun that they're basically cooked I didn't know that pitcher plants like direct sun, but it said that most of them did. Yeah, yeah, they're they're pretty sunny, yeah, sunny I plants. Didn't, I didn't know that at all. Um, yeah, so they don't 
They still don't know why. That's one of those unopened or unanswered research questions. What I thought was really gross was it took between three and 19 days for these little guys to die. And this is something that you do if you overfeed your carnivorous plant and it can't process the amount of protein. Uh, mm-hmm. So normally the protein just gets processed, like it gets dissolved by whatever fluid this plant has, uh, the nutrients are absorbed, and then if it had any kind of skeletal structure, it gets dumped out. Okay. Uh, if you feed it too much protein and it can't process it all, well, meat takes its, or dead meat takes its normal course and rots. Gross. And then you get stinky plants. And that's <laughs> what they saw in some of these where they had too much protein to process at one time and a few of these salamanders were decomposing oh yeah yucky um they had a what was they were talking about what they would get from a salamander like is this just coincidental or are these pitcher plants actually getting something that they need from them and so they did this average dry mass (laughs) which I thought was an interesting thing. Obviously, this is a an ecological thing that's normal. Um, <laughs> but they said that they were averaging the dry, or they had an average dry mass of these little metamorphic spotted salamanders at their site. And they figured out that uh, almost 12% of that was nitrogen. And so they looked at pitcher plants, and it said only 1% of the pitcher plant dry mass was nitrogen. And so the salamander could contribute to the plant um, an amount of nitrogen equivalent to that contained in three pitchers. So maybe these pitcher plants wanted these big influxes of these nutrients and they can get them at this time where these little salamanders are metamorphosing. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. really... You know, we always talk about, like, heat movement in physics or uh, conservation of various things when you're thinking about the geologic movements. But biologically, it's sort of the same thing. You know, we yeah. just animals and living things are the vehicles for moving nutrients and elements from one place to the next. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, the most disturbing thing, just based on their cursory surveys... It said that maybe 5% of the mortality of these salamanders is due to pitcher plants. 5%. That's crazy. Yeah. That's a lot of carnivorous plants right there. That is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So uh, this is really interesting. There's videos, really weird pictures. And some of these pitchers can get absolutely huge. Uh, Yeah. Um, what, there's a whole bunch of different types of pitcher plants, right? So many, many. Yeah. Yeah. So these are, did it say the diameter of these guys? Those are little baby salamanders. They didn't say, I'm going to say they're probably about one to two inches. Yeah. That's what I would think too. But some of them are really huge. You would think you would see more like mice and things that might fall in there. I don't know if the weight if the the weight of the animal could be supported by the stem. Oh, even on the big ones. Yeah, I mean hmm. it's already holding a lot of mass in water. Yeah, that is true. Um, that is true. But going to various botanical gardens, you know, you see some of these that are huge, like three, four inch openings, and pitchers that are eight, twelve, fourteen inches long. Oh, that is that is a lot of water, actually. Yeah, I mean, you know, water's. Bar's heavy, eight pounds a gallon. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sorry oh. for all of our all of our metric folks. <laughs> <laughs> there are just some things that you learn that you're not going to forget, and that's one of them. <laughs> um, and then, what was very interesting too, one of their future questions I thought was, do these specifically fishless bogs generate um, this predicament where you have? You know, amphibians getting eaten by pitcher plants. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. That's weird. It's, uh, <laughs> this is pretty interesting. And, you know, maybe maybe next year when it starts starts growing season again, I'll have to break out the terrarium. Oh, man. I hope so. I'm really excited about this. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm not going to put Venus flytraps in my crisper drawer, but I don't know. Maybe I could be convinced. You know, considering <laughs> it was talking with my wife about this earlier, about all of the weird text messages that I send during the course of a day, including today <laughs> desperately looking for somebody with an autoclave that they would let me use. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Lord. Do you have an autoclave running around? Oh, that's great. Uh, we have to take autoclave training. I didn't know what an autoclave was, and yet I'm trained to operate one. <laughs> well, my dentist doesn't know it yet, but we might have a deeper relationship than we normally would. <laughs> deeper than him digging around in your mouth. <laughs> yeah. And saying, my God, eat some vegetables. <laughs> yes, much, because it would involve me walking in with a piece of very Frankenstein-looking hardware and saying, please autoclave this. <laughs> oh, that's great. Let me know how that works out. <laughs> yeah. So, Shannon, if folks would like to get a hold of us, uh, letting us know about their virtual conference experience, because we would love to hear about it. Yes. Uh, or if you have done a survey of metamorphosed spotted salamanders <laughs> in your area, especially if you constructed a drift fence to do so, how can they get a hold of us? <laughs> Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're at Twitter and at don't panic geo john is at geo underscore lehman i'm at shannon doolin as always thank you to our patreon supporters if you would like to support us on patreon you may do so patreon.com slash don't panic geo and even though pitcher plants everywhere hope that will fall in <laughs> until next week remember don't panic it's not an exact science Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies. 